You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here. So I knew pretty early on uh, kind of my trajectory in life after I had become a Christian. I, I felt called to be a pastor pretty early on. And uh, I had only been a Christian for about three weeks. And I told my future wife of what my calling or whatever I thought was, I was experiencing kind of as I felt it. We had come out of a church, uh, our church on a Wednesday night and we were standing in the parking lot and I said, you know, the message that pastor gave, I, th- I think I could do that. And uh, I think that God might be calling me to be a pastor. And my, my girlfriend now, wife of 25 years has uh, said to me, are you sure about that? Um, do you remember high school? Because you should, because you were there for five years. And, um, and, and and so I, now, I felt called to be a pastor, and um, thankfully, the church I went to, they were like, okay, great, um, do something else uh, serving-wise. And so it was probably about four or five years after I had become a Christian and I had started uh, working on my theology degree that they said, all right, they're gonna, they gave me my first teaching responsibility, which was teaching a class on m- this uh, four-week class on Monday night which was in uh, the book of Jude. If you're not familiar with the book of Jude, it's this little one-chapter book kind of tucked away at the end of the New Testament. Right before you get to Revelation, there's this little book called Jude. And so they said, well, we'll let you teach that. And they, I'm sure they thought, like, how much damage could this guy do uh, in a four-week class? So now typically these classes, these Monday night classes would start, and they'd start out with 20, 30 people, and then they'd kind of dwindle down to 15, 20 by the end. And um, so my class started with about 20 people, and it grew to about 50 for the, to, to the, in the last week. And so the church staff was very happy with me. And uh, at the end of the class, they would give out these evaluations. And so the people who had attended, they evaluate the class. How do you think the instructor did? And um, how could he improve? And did you like the, the subject matter? And, and uh, how'd you like the snacks? You know, they're asking about everything. And uh, so I get home from finishing the class and I'm reading through and I'm getting these glowing reviews. 49 glowing reviews. And then there was this one guy. And, and by the way, you know, isn't it weird? Get, out of 50 reviews, I get 49. They're like, Bob's the greatest. And then this one guy, and that's the one that, like, I can't sleep because of this one, this one guy. And, um, and, and I just, people had to sign in every week. And so, and I, I was so bothered by this that I was trying to match up like how this guy draw his S's compared to the people who signed in. Oh, and I figured out who it was, by the way. And I didn't do anything, but I, I, <laughs> mentally what I shared. And, and uh, you know, you ever have those conversations in your mind? You're like, I won that argument in my mind. And, uh, but anyway, um, but his, his criticism, which by the way, um, has been the number one criticism about me uh, in all my years of teaching. And it was this, and it was, and the guy's criticism wasn't even bad. He said, hey, the class was good. But Pastor Bob tells too many stories. And, um, and that's been the number one criticism that people have had. And, um, and, and my general feeling when people tell me that is, um, spoiler alert, that's not going to change. And uh, so that's one. And, and then the other thing is, you know who told a lot of stories and made storytelling? His primary method of teaching is uh, Jesus. So we like to call that checkmate, by the way. Uh, so I win. And uh, let me tell you a story about that. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. So, but listen, Jesus was a storyteller. In fact, the people that research these things, uh, one third of Jesus's words were stories. They were parables that Jesus uh, told to illustrate the teaching that he was giving. And, and once again, the stories that Jesus gave, we call them parables because it's a transliteration from the Greek word parabolos, uh, which if you're not aware, the New Testament was translated from Greek to English. Um, and, and it's a phrase that means to cast alongside. The idea is that Jesus would tell a story essentially to lay alongside the point that he was making to bring clarity to the teaching itself. 
And so teaching in parables was very common. It was a very common teaching style for rabbis in the first century. Um, History records hundreds of parables that famous rabbis taught. I'll share one with you in a little bit. Uh, But the parables that Jesus taught were teaching us about the character and nature of God. They were seeking to explain God's heart to us, seeking to give us insight into how God wants us to live. And and so I figured um, as we get into Matthew chapter 13, or what are called the kingdom parables, there's seven parables that Jesus gives. And I think it's um, important for us, the first one is the longest one. So we're going to spend our time today looking at just the first one, and then we'll take the balance of them next time. But I thought as we were getting started that we could talk a little bit about and take a little, get a bit of an overview about what are parables supposed to teach us and how do parables work? And so let me give you these three truths about parables in general and the parables of Jesus in particular that I think will help us no matter uh, the different type of parable or uh, where you're reading the parable and, and all that. So three things in particular. One, so if you're a note taker, here's the first one, is that parables are Jewish in nature. The parables are not just Jewish. They are extremely Jewish. And so to not set them within their Jewish context, you will misunderstand the meaning of the parable. And many times what we do is we assert our own cultural ideas into a Jewish teaching. And what we end up doing is misunderstanding what the teaching is really about. So I said there was a bunch of famous parables. Let me give you one. There's a famous parable that was given by a well-known rabbi at the time named Rabbi Eliezer. And so Here's the parable. There's a rabbi who was riding his donkey, he feeling elated over his extensive studying of the Torah. On his journey, he encounters what he calls an extremely ugly man walking on the same road. The ugly man says, peace be upon you, rabbi. And the rabbi looks at the man and says, is everyone in your town as ugly as you? I know, right? Wow, what a savage. And... Uh, And the ugly man, and by the way, poor guy, we refer to him as the ugly man, but um, the ugly man says, I don't know, maybe you should ask the one who made me why he made this vessel so ugly. The rabbi immediately gets off his donkey and bows before the man and asks for forgiveness. So the question is, what does that parable mean? Does it just mean be nice to ugly people? Because if later today someone starts being surprisingly nice to you. I'm not even going to finish that. And so, but no, it's not what it means. Let me explain. In, in a Jewish context, all right, so let's, let's bring it into its context. In a Jewish context, the rabbi is famous. He's educated. He's knowledgeable. He's riding a donkey, signifying his high position in life. The man, the, the not-so-good-looking man, Um, is walking, signifying that he's poor because he doesn't have uh, resources to buy an animal that would would take him somewhere. He has no education. He has no uh, standing in social circles. And then this thing happens. So what's, what's the story teaching us? It's teaching us that sometimes those with no training have greater wisdom than the educated. The point is this, is that if we neglect the cultural setting in which these parables were written and we will miss their meaning altogether. Second thing about the parables is that parables are insights into God's kingdom. The message of the parables and these seven that we're going to look at this time and next time are Jesus is trying to explain to us how things are supposed to work in God's kingdom and how things are supposed to work for God's people. That's why in the parables, sometimes people who hate each other forgive and sacrifice for each other. That's why one type of soil doesn't bear any fruit and another bears fruit a hundred times over. That's why a person finds a hidden treasure in a field and he sells everything that he owns to buy the field where the treasure is. The parable is supposed to give us insight into how things are supposed to work, how God wants things to work, and how things will ultimately work in the kingdom of God. The other third thing about parables, and then we're going to actually get into this, and that is that parables sometimes overturn the norms. Sometimes to make a point, Jesus will illustrate a judge, or will illustrate God as a judge who was annoyed by a woman demanding justice. Sometimes in a parable, Jesus will praise a manager who's cooking the books uh, for, the, for his own gain um, to, to make the point. And, it, and if we miss the actual point of it, or we take it too far, we will miss 
not only the meaning of it, but we'll, we'll go too far in where we're supposed to go. So it's like, um, I have many nicknames for my kids, but one of the nicknames that we had for my daughter, Livy, who's 10 now, when she was about three, we had this nickname for her and it was Godzilla. And um, now I don't know how many of you have seen a Godzilla movie. And by the way, not the new ones. That's the, the, the original ones, preferably in black and white. So I, um, I grew up in Boston and there, there was a channel called uh, Channel 38, uh, WSBK, and they would do this thing every Saturday called the Creature Double Feature. It started at noon, it ran till about five, and they would show two horror movies. Uh, by the way, who's showing horror movies at noon on a Saturday? WSBK is, that's how I, 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 and because TV was basically my babysitter when I was a kid, I would watch these horror movies um, growing up. So, I mean, I watched all of it and then they would show like kind of these monster movies too. So I watched all the Godzilla movies and so I consider myself somewhat of an aficionado on this. But um, in every Godzilla movie, Godzilla only has one goal. Just in, let me give you a spoiler alert. Um, but Godzilla wants to do one thing and that is destroy Tokyo. That's all he wants. If someone would just let him destroy Tokyo, we'd probably never even hear from him again. But that's the whole point, is that all he wants to do is destroy Tokyo. And, uh, and that's, my daughter, uh, at, her, at about three years old, that was her goal in life, to find rooms that were clean and orderly and destroy them. And, and so, um, and once again, that does not mean that my daughter's a fire-breathing dragon. Why? It's taken, it's taken the illustration too far. It just means, but I did believe that she was bent on the destruction of anything that was neat and orderly when she was three years old. And the point is, is that we can't take the parable beyond Jesus' intention, or it'll mess up our understanding of the parable, the intention, and the goal of what, why the story is, is told to us. So what we're going to look at in this first parable of Matthew 13 is probably the most famous of Jesus' parables, and it's a topic that I love, the topic of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And it's, like I said, it's probably the most important of the seven. And it's not just preference, it's because there's this little phrase in Mark chapter 4 that is key for this parable. When Jesus gives this parable, it's called the parable of the sower. In Mark chapter 4, he says to his disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So the parable of the sower becomes in many ways the key that unlocks all of the others. And so the cool thing about this parable is that it gives us an opportunity to evaluate ourselves and see where we are, if we're growing spiritually, and if we're not, we can figure out what it is that's, that's holding us back. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 13 in verse 1, and here's what we read. It says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, and they withered away. Verse 7, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. He who has an ear, let him hear. And then if you go down to verse 18, it says, therefore, Jesus explains, he says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That, this is he who received seed by the wayside. And if you pause there and give me your attention, I want you to notice a couple of things. The first is, if you're a note taker, by the way, we're, we're going to look at these four types. The first is what we call the wayside soil, the soil that falls by the wayside. This is what we call the uninterested unbeliever. So there's a couple of things that I want you to notice. But the first thing is, in the first two verses, we read that multitudes have gathered. Tons of people are listening to Jesus, and not everyone is at the same level spiritually, and everyone is not even there for the same reasons. So Jesus is going to tell a story. It's about seed that's being scattered and a sower that's faithful to scatter it, but the ground is different. And not everyone who's receiving the seed is accepting it in the same way. And Jesus says the seed hits the path, and it gets, it's, that's the wayside, and it just gets trampled on under people's feet, and then the birds of the air come and take it away. Now, there's two things happening here. There's 
The evil one comes, that's the birds, as Jesus mentioned, that come and snatch away the, the seed, but it doesn't happen until it gets trampled on first. The, there's the seed there, it gets trampled on, that is, the person doesn't care about the seed that's been given, and then the wicked one comes and takes it away. And so, they, they, I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but the moment where uh, you give someone a gift that you believe is, is precious and valuable to you, and they treat it like it's no big deal. I don't know if you've ever had that. I had that a few years ago. Before I had kids, back when I still had hair, um, I, I, I remember talking to one of my nephews, and um, I, I gave him my original 1977, because um, I still had some of my original Star Wars figures, and I gave him my original 1977 Luke Skywalker in the uh, X-Wing gear, so it's the orange um, suit. And uh, so anyway... And so I'm giving him this. I sat down with him and I said, listen, uh, when I was your age, I went to the movies with my dad and my older brother to see Star Wars. And, uh, and I said, I grew up in a broken home and uh, without both of my parents, and neither did he. And this guy saved the galaxy. By this time, I'm getting emotional talking about this. And, and I said, so I'm giving this to you today because I believe that you can change the world. And, uh, and, he, and he's listening and he's like, Okay, cool. Thank you. And then he throws it and runs down the hall. And I, I, I mean, and I'm, I, and I didn't even know what to do when I had given this to him. And then I sat down with his parents and I said, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think your child is demon possessed. And, uh, and then I, I was playing out the scene where Darth Vader chokes the guy because he finds his lack of faith disturbing. And, um, and then that's when the grown-ups broke it up. And, uh, and, and, and this is, listen, when someone doesn't see the value of spiritual things, they discard it. And then according to Jesus, Satan comes and takes away whatever is left. And, there, and listen, I, this is the thing that I think about. If Jesus is saying this to the crowd, there's people here today that could care less about what I'm saying. That's Jesus. So what that means is, if that's, if that's true and Jesus is the one speaking, it's certainly true when you and I are the ones that are speaking. Because let me tell you the thing that you and I have got to become really good at as Christians is we've got to be really good at answering questions with kindness and ignoring opportunities to argue. We should always be ready, right? The Bible says that, to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that's in us, but to do it with gentleness and respect. So we always want to answer honest questions that people have, but arguing is a complete waste of time. And here's why, is because no one has ever been argued into the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever talked to anyone and been like, man, it was so weird. Like, how did you become a Christian? Well, I met this guy, we got into a huge argument, and we were going back and forth, and then, anyway, one thing led to another, and I started crying, and he prayed for me, and that's how I became a Christian. And it's like, I've never heard that story, right? And it just usually doesn't work. You know what usually wins us over? is God's kindness. And you'll see it on the screen in, in the book of Romans chapter 2. Paul asks this question. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Here's what usually happens is, I had these questions about Christianity, whether Christianity was true, did the resurrection really happen? And when I got the answers, it really opened my eyes to the love and grace of God. And here's the point, is that, you know, don't, don't give up on those wayside unbelievers in your life, the ones that you share with and talk to, and they don't care. And, and listen, let's love them. Give them some time, because listen, I was like them once. I heard the gospel many times and didn't respond and um, it was later that uh, I heard, and, and I was just, and at that time, I was ready. And I'm, I'm grateful that there were people who loved me enough to not give up on me. Then he goes on in verse 5, as, and we read it earlier, but let's read it again. He, that's the seed that falls by the wayside. Then he says this, some fell on stony places where they didn't have much earth, but they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched because they didn't have any root. They withered away. And then Jesus explains that in verse 20. He says, 
But he who received the seed on stony places is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he had no root in himself and endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution rises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now if you pause there. Oh, thank you. I'm looking for my phone. Um, in the first service, in the first service, we had a timer go off. And, uh, and, I, and I said, oh, great, uh, thank you, I have to take a pill. And um, man, I don't know what happened. I don't know if that, everybody in that service takes a pill with a timer, because that brought the house down. And uh, I was just, I, I didn't even know what to do, because it wasn't even, anyway, I don't even know why I told you that. It's just, it's a weird, oh, the timer went off, that's why. It's time for me to say something. So, all right, the second one is the rocky soil. And this is the flaky believer. This is the person who hears the word, gets excited. They're the first person that when the invitation is given, they want to receive Jesus. They want to not join one group. They want to join five growth groups. They want to serve at Calvary. What ministry? All the ministries. And, uh, you know, they buy the biggest Bible they can find and a matching T-shirt to go with it. And then something happens. That is something or someone gets in the way of their spiritual growth and they disappear. And here's the reason why. They had no root. And, and the, the, the there's a challenge here, and we don't have to wonder what it is. Jesus says the person falls away for two reasons, tribulation or persecution. Now, tribulation is something that happens to everyone, and I know that these are terms that sometimes we use synonymously, but there is a difference. Tribulation um, is trouble, and trouble seems to find everyone at some point in their life. Persecution doesn't happen to everyone. Persecution is usually tribulation that's brought on because of a person's faith. And in this season, these are the moments when we need to have a root system because this is when a person has to live out their faith. And when they don't live out their faith, when persecution or tribulation comes, it just wipes them out. And here's how it works in nature. And here's how it works in pretty much every area of life. Roots don't grow over the summer. Summer is when we're bearing fruit. But we develop root, deep roots in the winter. When everything on the outside looks dead, there is a deep work that's going on that's happening underground where no one sees it. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that living in Florida is a challenge because we don't really have seasons to remind us that things change and that seasons don't last forever. We just have variations of one season, right? It's either hot or hotter or surface of the sun. And it's just one of those, one of those varied things. Um, but, you know, it, it's true in, in, in life and it's true in relationships. And when it's like springtime in your, in, in your relationships, right, everything is fun and everything is new. Uh, but, man, you don't want that, that, that season to last forever. And I don't think people think that they do, but, but they don't um, because there's never going to be any depth. Depth comes in time. When, when my wife first started, uh, when we first started dating, I remember we went to a movie uh, on our first date, and I was so nervous just to hold her hand. And, and I remember we went, the first time we went to a restaurant, I had these butterflies in my stomach that I couldn't even eat, right? And uh, you're probably like, oh, I think that feeling has passed. And, uh, it, it, it ha but could you imagine what it would be if it never went away? Like I come home, you know, from, from, from being at uh, the office all day and then I'm like, oh, I can't eat, I'm so nervous, right? It's just like, wake up, right? You know, but listen, you know, this is, the, this is the thing that I find so interesting, and I think about this all the time, is um, when a relationship is new, the person's presence is what makes things a little bit odd. But when a relationship matures, it's not the person's presence that makes things odd, it's their absence. That's why uh, when your spouse goes out of town for something, you can't sleep. Even though you're in your house, in your bed, their presence have now somehow become part of your DNA. And, and, and it's weird when they aren't there. And this is what happens when you, when you grow deep roots. I mean, it just makes everything better. Uh, as I mentioned before, my wife and I this year celebrated 25 years being married. And uh, thank you. Thank you. It's kind of a delayed reaction. I appreciate that. Um, being married for 25 years is the most fun I've ever had. And uh, if I knew being married for 25 was so much fun, I would have started here. And, uh, and the problem is you can't. Uh, because you got to go through 
all the, you know, the, you got to go through all the tough seasons. You got to go through the winters. You got to learn to dig roots and hold on when things are difficult. But now, listen, now, you know, when, when you've been married, once again, I mean, um, I, I've, been, I've been married for more than half my life now. And um, now my wife and I, we just kind of speak in a shorthand. And there's, there's so little drama and there's so much joy. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, on Mon- I had jury duty on Monday. And, uh, and, and I just, I do appreciate the collective groan that comes. Every time I tell someone like, hey, I got jury duty, they're like, oh, for real? I didn't even know you were here legally. And uh, you know what I mean? There's that. <laughs> it's like, these are one of those moments I wish I wasn't here legally. And uh, so anyway, but, um, and, and this is one of the ways that I know there's a God who loves me because they let us all go home at 1130. And I knew, I knew it was because of me and that God loves me. And all these people so excited to leave. And I'm like, you're welcome. And, uh, but you'll never even know. And I don't want to make a big deal about stuff. So I just, I just went home. Anyway, but um, so then we were, uh, <laughs> I was driving home and we, I drive past this barbecue place that we really like. And so I pick up barbecue for my family for lunch because I figure I'll be able to get home and it's still lunchtime. So I come home and I come home, not just, I, you know, I, I come home early, but I come home from jury duty and I've got barbecue. My, I've never seen my family love me the way that they loved me that day. They, they hugged me a little tighter. And um, anyway, so, uh, so we, and then, um, so I had barbecue and I still had a bunch of work to do that day. And so anyways, in the evening after dinner, and I am wiped out, um, especially from having to fight traffic to drive downtown and all that. And I know some of you guys deal with that and I applaud you. Um, but I was so wiped out. And I'm like, Carrie, you know what I could go for right now? She's like, what? I'm like, remember when we were kids, uh, they used to sell those kids cigarettes? And, um, and my wife starts laughing. And she's like, oh, I remember those. Those were awesome. You should have seen the face of my children. They were like, they were mortified. And they, they were like, dad, you told us you've never smoked anything in your life. And now we found out you smoked as a child? And, uh, and now my wife and I, we can't even breathe because we're laughing so hard. And then we had to explain, which by the way, who in the world does this? But if you're old enough to remember this in the, in the early eight, late 70s, early 80s, they sold bubble gum that was in the shape of a cigarette. And then they wrapped it in like a white paper and put this red tip at the end to make it look like it was lit. And then because, you know, there's like that, uh, that powder that uh, is on bubble gum, you could put one in your mouth. And who? I would love to have been in the meeting for that. You know what we got to do? Start training kids to smoke. Yeah, but how do you do that? Legally. Let's make it out of bubble gum. Like, give that man a raise. Like, put that man in jail. Uh, what in the world are we doing? So anyway, so, uh, so they start marketing this, and every kid, you know, on the block, you know, nine-year-olds, drink, eat, chewing, having bubblegum cigarettes. And uh, so anyway, my kids hear that, and they're like, wow, the 80s were very different than they presented on Stranger Things. And uh, my guy was, was a little different. There was candy cigarettes, but no Demogorgon. So it is a little different. And, uh, but you know, once again, the point, the seasons change. See, it just gets so much better. Listen, if you have young kids, um, and I know, listen, here's what happens. When you get older, you miss the early seasons. Like, oh, remember when they were babies and all that? When, if you are in the mix right now, you are, you're, you're just trying to, you know, stay above water, right? And, um, and, and listen, I, I, I remember when the kids were young, and I remember... Listen, I remember a point in time when we had uh, a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. And uh, I don't even know how I am still alive um, after, after that, because uh, it, it, was, it was brutal. And uh, it, was so, it was so tough. And, but listen, if you have young kids, it is a glorious day when your kids learn to eat and use the bathroom by themselves. Isn't that, this is like an amazing, hopefully not at the same time. And... Uh, <laughs> But it's an amazing moment because you're just like, hey, one thing they can do that I don't have to be involved in. And at least now I can eat my food that's room temperature because it ain't going to be hot for a few years. But at least it's room temperature now and not ice cold. And, and, it's, and listen, you just, 
you just realize that there are seasons. There's seasons that when they're little and you miss them. And, and uh, I see these pictures of my kids and we have pictures all over our house of our family. And man, sometimes I just get fixated on one and it just kills me like, oh man, I love that season so much. And there was this, there was this one season, I'll tell you this real quick. There was this one season when Mia was young that every week she would paint um, a flyer that she would hand out. I mean, there's only a couple of people that live in our house. But she would make this flyer, and it was called the Mia Show. And um, it was basically a variety show that would happen every Friday night. And uh, it was an awesome show. There'd be singing. There'd be trivia. Uh, there'd be audience participation. So we would be involved, and she would host the show. And she was a performer in the show. And, and, but everybody was involved, even though there's only her parents, her brother and sister were the audience. And, um, and I, I still have, so I, I have one of the flyers from the Mia Show, and I have it framed in my office at home. And, uh, it just, and it just brings me so much joy every time I see it. I just remember the season. And um, I have this thing. I remember another thing I remember every single morning was when my son was really young, um, he would wake me up between 5.45 and 6 a.m. seven days a week to let me know that he was awake. And then that we could have time that was just the boys. And so, and it was great. And, and we would talk and he would just, you know, hey, you know, parents, you know how kids, they don't like, Hey, like, hey, hey. It's like, yo, what, what is, what is going on? It's like, I, 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 anyway, uh, I feel like a brisket, you know. Like, Whoa, slow down. So anyway, but he'd be like, dad, dad. I'm like, yeah, what's up? Like, hey, um, I just want to let you know that I'm awake. I'm like, oh, that, that's, that's great. That's great, buddy. Okay. Uh, so hey, so what are you doing? Uh, well, I was I was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was sleeping until about like 20 seconds ago when I was awoken by a total maniac. And, um, and, and, and so, and then you'd be like, oh, yeah, I, just, I just thought we could spend some time together. And then now when he says that, now I feel guilty. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's get up. Let's do something. And, uh, and, and, so, and so now, I, the reason I say I remember it every day, because I still wake up between 5.45 and 6 a.m., but I'm the only one in my house who's awake. And so I remember that time that we had. And then I'm just 6 a.m. drinking coffee like a moron by myself. And, uh, but <laughs> and, and listen, but, and the point is this. You don't, you don't cry because you miss the opportunity. You, sometimes it's just because the season was so good. And that's why the goal is to not miss the seasons because they don't last forever. And, and, and by the way, and I'll tell you this, I absolutely love the season that I'm in with my kids right now. And uh, we are... We are having the most meaningful conversations about uh, life and the future and, and faith and w- walking with Jesus and the culture that we're in. And, um, and you know, I, I saw this video last week, and um, I get these videos that, uh, and pictures that pop up every day and, um, on my phone. And uh, it, was, it was a video of when I taught Mia to ride a bike when she was about five. And, uh, and it was amazing. It was so exciting. And, um, and now um, she's getting ready to get her... 10 years later, getting her learner's permit, um, and I'm going to be teaching her how to drive. And it's just like, wow, the season changes. And I don't know what's more terrifying, Mia driving or that I will be her instructor. And I don't even know, how, like, how did I become a driving instructor? I don't know, but I'm sure there's someone who would disagree with that. But I love this passage in the book of Daniel where um, in the book of Daniel, um, Daniel is explaining to the king this dream that he has, but then he's also explaining the nature of God. And, here, and here's what he says. He says, and he, God, changes the times and seasons. He removes kings, raises up kings, and he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And here's the point. What God is reminding us is that seasons don't last forever. Even the challenging season that you might be going through right now, that doesn't last forever either. And so these are the moments when we have to prove that our faith is real by surviving the winters of life. And these are the things that will make our faith unshakable. Well, he goes on in uh, verse 7, and he says this. He says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And then Jesus, in verse 22, explains it. He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and it becomes unfruitful. Now, if you pause there, the third is the the, the stony, the uh, the thorny soil. And this is the fair weather believer. 
The fair, you know, you get this. Fairweather fans are people who love their team when it's going well and forget about them when they're struggling. And uh, Fairweather fans frustrate me. Um, and Because I, I believe that you should be a fan of your hometown teams. And so I grew up in Boston, so my teams are and have always been the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Bruins, and the Patriots. Those have been my team since I was, you know, four or five years old. And, and, I, and, and by the way, I appreciate the fact that Miami fans hate the Patriots. I, I, can, I can live with that. Um, my kids have had an interesting experience in their lives because they gr have grown up in a home where their dad loves the Boston teams. And so since birth, my, my kids have witnessed the Patriots going to the Super Bowl almost every year. And so I remember walking through the mall with my kids, and there was this cardboard cutout of Patrick Mahomes, who's the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I tell Mia, this is like two years ago, I'm like, hey, he's going to the Super Bowl this year. And, uh, and she said, well, what about the Patriots? And I said, well, they got knocked out. And she stops and she goes, hold on, can they even have a Super Bowl if the Patriots aren't in it? And I said, I'm like, well, technically they can. It's just not much fun. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, and that's and listen, I, I, I've been I've been a Patriots fan since birth, and they had a lot of bad years. I have a picture. Maybe the next time I talk about this, I'll bring it. I have a picture of at eight years old at Disney World with my grandmother. It's her and I with the castle behind us, and um, I'm wearing a Steve Grogan Patriots jersey. And I can imagine there's probably no more than three people in this room who know who Steve Grogan is. But he used to be the quarterback of the uh, of the Patriots, and they went two and fourteen that season. They were awful. And um, now, but when a person is a fair weather believer uh, in their relationship with God, this is the person who's following Jesus until something better comes along. And we don't have to wonder what it is that are the, the what are the things that come along because Jesus tells us in verse 22, it's the, per the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the person out. And so, and it really boils down to, once again, both of these things whether it's the cares of this world or the worries of this world uh, or the deceitfulness of riches, it's really, it boils down to one thing, the belief that God is somehow holding out on us. We worry because of what we don't have because we think that, man, if God loved me, he would give me the thing that I don't have and that's why I'm worried about the thing that I don't have because I think I need the thing I don't have. And then the deceitfulness of the, 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 the resources that I don't have and that's why I think, man, is God really gonna come through? And at the heart of, all, of every unwise decision that we make is really at this, is this lack of trust. And this is why we desire more than we have because we think that God hasn't, uh, we think that God hasn't provided. And, and the, the reality is, is that going outside of God's will has never made life better for us. In fact, just the opposite is true, uh, that it has only made life more difficult because we never experience the blessing of God by violating the principles of God. And that's just the reality. Um, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example of how this works. In the book of Galatians, chapter 4, it was written by the Apostle Paul. He says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, th this, is a, this is a really powerful statement, um, and one that another time we'll go into in depth. But the Jews had been praying for thousands of years for the Messiah to come. And what Paul is saying is that when the fullness of time had come, another translation says when the right moment came. So, God was orchestrating things. And once again, there were things that were happening politically. There were things that were happening religiously. There were things that were happening linguistically in the world that prepared the world for the rapid expansion of the gospel. And so it was at that moment. That was the perfect moment. And sometimes we can think if the thing that we desire, even if it's a good thing, why hasn't it happened yet? Is God holding out on me? And it's no, not that God is holding out on me because this verse teaches us something. Sometimes there are things that are happening behind the scenes that we will never know about so that we can know that when the right time comes, God will do the thing that he promised. My wife and I waited 10 years in our marriage to have our first child. And I remember how long those 10 years were. And I remember everyone around us all of our friends start getting married and having children and everybody's excited. I remember people that didn't even want kids having kids and I'm like, how does that even work, God? I, we got people that don't, didn't want kids, now they're having kids. We desperately wanna have kids and we can't. And then and, and we start, you start wondering, did God forget us? And then you, know, you go to a specialist and you're like, is something wrong with me? Is something wrong with her? And the doctor's like, nothing wrong with either of you. It's just gonna happen when it happens. And, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget the Monday morning that I, Carrie woke me up and was standing over me with a positive pregnancy test. 
And it was this incredible moment, and we still have the pregnancy test uh, because I keep things like that. It's dried off by now. But, um, sorry. And, uh, but it was, just, it was just time. And my wife and I, this week, were having a conversation, right? And I made this comment, this kind of offhand comment. And it just, and I'm like, I get it now. And I, it was after we had had um, dinner one night, I said, I said to her, I said, pointing at our kids, I said, these kids got better parents because we had to wait. And that just unlocked it for me. Like, I'm like, now I get it. All these years, I thought God had forgotten us when I was going through it, when in reality, God was waiting for us to grow up a little bit, maybe more me in particular, um, because of the kids he was going to give us. And I'm like, God, have you forgotten? And, and he's like, no, I haven't forgotten. I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting because of the blessing that I'm going to give you. That's why you got to wait a little bit longer. And if you'd stop being a knucklehead, maybe we could do this a little quicker. And uh, that, that last part is, while true, not spoken to me. But, uh, but I think it's the, it's, it's the point is that sometimes the wait, sometimes the wait, God hasn't forgotten us. Sometimes it's, it's what happens. There's all these things that are, that are happening around us before the thing that we want to happen to us takes place. Well, last thing, verse eight. Jesus says, then others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Verse 23, Jesus explains that he who received the word on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and produces some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. Last thing I want to tell you is this. Let's talk, let's talk about the good soil. That's the fruitful believer. There is this amazing contrast that Jesus gives. While everyone has the best of intentions, the only soil that bears fruit is this one. And it's this picture that Jesus is giving us. He's saying, okay, here's these four. Which do you want to be? And, and he's giving us a picture of someone who bears fruit and that it doesn't bear fruit, of course, right away. It bears fruit over time. And, and this is always the case. Fruit never happens immediately. You never plant a tree. I'm like, all right, get ready, guys. Set a clock for 30 minutes. We're doing this. Right? No. There's seasons that go by. There's times that go by. You got to water it and you got to fertilize it. You got, it's got to get sunlight and it's got to get all, it's got to get rain. It's got to get all this. And then there's time we got to wait. And, and listen, I'm, I'm at this, um, I'm at this great season with my kids where they're learning musical instruments. And my son, um, probably about two months ago was listening to me play some, a song. And he's like, I don't think I'll ever be able to play that. And I said, Zan, you're 13 and you're already good. I didn't even pick up a guitar until I was 15 years old. And if you stick with it, you're gonna be a way better player than I am at my age, uh, when you're my age. And, 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 the, and the point is, is that it just takes time. It takes this consistent investment. And you know what's cool? And uh, I'm so excited about it. So uh, some of us are gonna be at the retreat next weekend. And uh, so, yeah, if, it's very exciting. And if you're at the retreat, you're gonna hear me play, because uh, I usually lead worship at the retreat. Um, but if you're here, my son is going to be playing guitar in the band, and uh, which we're very excited about that. And so, so he'll, he'll be playing, and so you, you'll hear that, and hopefully you're a little more excited when it's happening. Um, wow, it's very good. It's so nice. Glad you put in all those hours of work and didn't sleep and drove your sisters crazy with your loud music. Well done. Um, so anyway... Um, but listen, but you know, because the thing is, is that when you start playing, and if you've ever thought about starting to play a musical instrument, here, let me just tell you the quick facts. When you start, you stink. You do. You're terrible. And, 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 and then you're like, how do I play that? And you're starting, oh man, my fingers hurt. And it's just, those are like just weird positions for your fingers. And that, that can't be natural, right? And then what happens, and it's true with any instrument that you begin to play, but you start bearing fruit when you patiently work at it and invest. It's the way it always works. It's like what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter one, when he talks about the, the man of God, and this is, this is what he says. It says that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does 
shall prosper. I want you to notice that it doesn't say he brings forth fruit all the time, brings forth fruit every day. Instead, once again, as we've been talking about, there are seasons to life. The blessed man or blessed woman understands this reality, that there are fruit-bearing seasons and there are root-deepening seasons. And this is why whatever the blessed man does prospers, according to verse 3. Because everything in our lives is working towards God transforming us from who we are into who God wants us to be. And I'm telling you, there's this, one of the things that people will talk about, and whether we say it in this way or not, what we'll talk about is this. We'll say, man, if I could just be over there, I'd I'd really do better. I'd I'd really, I'd I'd really, I'd grow there. Or, Or we'll say this, you know, because some of us, we're unhappy with the job that we have. But here's the strange thing, and, and, and I get that. But here's the strange thing. There was a time that we were praying that God would bless us with the job that we're now currently unhappy with. And I know sometimes things change and, you know, buyouts and thing, thing, people get moved and new supervisors and all that. But sometimes it's also that something that happens in us. And there is just a lack of gratitude that we have and an entitlement that we feel that now robs all the joy because it is impossible to feel gratitude and entitled at the same time. It's one or the other. This happens not just in careers, but it happens in relationships. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, how in the world did I end up with this knucklehead? And uh, now, let's hope you don't say that out loud, but you just keep that internal. Um, But here's here's what happens is that, you know, once again, there was a moment where you said, you know, the thing that I would want more than anything is to spend the rest of my life with this person. And I get that people change and circumstances, I, I, I get all that. But let me just tell you that sometimes some of the reason why we are deeply unhappy is because we feel very entitled. And that has created a lot of the problem in our relationships because it is impossible to feel entitled and feel gratitude at the same time. And so the point is, instead of saying, man, but if I, if I just was over there, that's when I'd really grow. No, the point is this. It's not that I've got to move to be, to have that, to be the fruitful, uh, to, to fall on the good soil. You decide where you are if it's going to be good soil. You decide where you are if I'm going to bloom where I'm planted right now. And listen, that's why we don't despise the days of preparation because this, that's where God is deepening our roots so that we can bear fruit and prosper in the things that we do. And so when you prepare the soil of your heart with God's word, that's when God takes seriously now, okay, you wanna, you wanna bear fruit, then we're gonna do this. And here's what I know to be true, is that we all wanna be the soil that bears fruit, that we want God to work in our lives. And the truth is, and the wonderful news is, is that God wants to work in us more than we want him to work in us. The changes that we wanna see in our lives the things that we want to be different, God wants to do that and even more. And when we come to the communion table, it's our moment to remember what God has done in the past and embrace gratitude because it is impossible to feel entitled and grateful at the same time. And when you're grateful, you are in a position to grow and bear amazing fruit in your life. And communion is always the activity that centers us back in gratitude for everything that God has already done as we wait in expectation for everything that he's going to do. So I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward and they're gonna hand out the communion elements. And as they do, so um, hang on to them because we're gonna partake together. But as we do, uh, Pastor George and the band are gonna lead us. Down on my knees once again Needing your love again Desperately longing to be In your presence So remind me that you overcame Remind me that I'm not the same Yeah.
Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you for the challenge that you give us that we can decide what kind of soil we want to be. And God, we want to be good soil that bears good fruit in our lives. And so, Lord, our prayer, our prayer is that you would work in us, that we would be a people that are grateful, and that we would recognize the seasons that we're in, and knowing that difficult seasons don't last forever. No season lasts forever. But that we might appreciate the season that we're in, knowing that you're working. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.